Well, good morning. Welcome again to our online service at South Suburban Christian Church. I'm so grateful that you have joined us today. However you're joining us, whether it's on our online.church platform, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to us on uh, our podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for being here. Uh, We're in the middle of a series, uh, Begin Again. Uh, I've enjoyed this series. We're going through the book of 1 John. Uh, One of the uh, things that's been real exciting is is that we have resumed in-person worship. Uh, We'll be uh, having in-person worship uh, uh, at uh, 9 o'clock in our uh, uh, Sanctuary Worship Center. Uh, Just one service for now. Looking forward, though, to going to two services uh, at 9 and 11. Uh, We're planning to do our contemporary service at 9 and our traditional service at 11. So we're excited uh, about that and looking forward. Hope that you, uh, uh, if you're able, will be able to join us as we uh, begin to resume our in-person worship. It takes a lot of folks to get this done. And uh, not only because we're going to continue our online, we're still uh, recording it and then streaming it on Sunday. Our ultimate goal is to live stream it. So what happens in the sanctuary on Sunday will be what you see. And we'll, uh, uh, we'll give you more information as we get closer to that. Our congregation right now is voting uh, to be, because there is a financial <laughs> impact to that. About 540000 uh, to up, do the upgrades that we need to our lights, our sounds, and to get the, the cameras. Uh, we have about 260-some thousand already pledged. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And also, about 85 of our giving units have already contributed. So that's uh, somewhere around a fourth, uh, maybe a third of our membership has already uh, contributed. And really, that's one of the things that I'm praying for. That uh, Well, certainly I hope that we're able to get the, the finances in. But I'm really hoping that everyone will participate, even if you can only give five bucks and, uh, uh, or 50000 uh, we, we need everybody because as we're relaunching, we're, we're into a new day. We're looking to the future. Uh, we're, we're seeking to discern where God's calling us. And I'm actually going to be talking a little bit about that in today's message. So if you haven't given yet, you can go to our website at southsuburban.com, click on the button give. And if, on the uh, drop down menu, it says worship center upgrades and you can give that way. You can mail a check. And if you have any questions, feel free to call the church. Our uh, business administrator, Ken Bright Cruz or myself, or Pastor Joe, we'd be glad to answer any questions. If you kind of know the leadership of our church, our president, Jerry McClellan, our treasurer, Sean Reed, would be, would be more than glad to talk with you as well. So pray that you will continue um, uh, discerning God's call on your life as we look toward the future here at South Suburban and for the sake of the kingdom. We're looking at uh, 1 John. Uh, chapter 5. I'm only going to be reading the first six verses. We're going to actually spend two weeks in First uh, John chapter 5. Um, today, verses 1 through 6. Uh, next week, obviously, the rest of the chapter. Next week, we're excited in person for the in-person service. We're going to be having baptisms and uh, baby uh, infant dedications, baby blessings, and we're excited what God is doing with our families. So uh, uh, we uh, we hope that you'll join us in person if, if you're able to get in uh, uh, and or be with us here online. So if you found 1 John chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. I'm going to have to tell you, I could probably do a five-week series just on those six verses. Maybe someday we'll have to do that. Um, but I, I, I do want to set a context uh, as best I can as we look at this section of Scripture. And I want to share with you a couple of points. The first point, uh, all of them come directly from the text. The first point uh, for us to remember as we're getting into this chapter and beginning to wind down this letter from uh, John uh, to the church that he's serving predominantly in Ephesus. Uh, the first point, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You know, have you ever had one of those moments that you never forgot? A moment in your life that literally changed the world for you and changed how you think about the world. Well, for me, my very first new car that I ever purchased on my own, brand new, right off the lot with that wonderful new car smell, was a 1991 Ford Explorer. I know, if you know me, you're probably shocked that I, I bought a Ford, mainly because I thought Ford stood for first on race day back then. Now I know it means found on the road dead or fix or repair daily. We just lost all of our Ford viewers, I'm sure. But nevertheless, I loved that 1991 Ford Explorer. Anyway, I was on my way to work early in the morning, having rotated to day shift, and I had to leave home at about 5 a.m. Uh, working at the Ocean City Police Department, roll call was at 6 a.m., shift change at 6.30, and we uh, were 10-8 on duty, on patrol at exactly 7 a.m. I remember that morning as if it was yesterday. It was raining torrents of rain as I jumped into my new Explorer as quickly as I could and just was concerned because I had cloth seats and didn't want them to get wet. The roads that uh, early were still desolate, and I pulled out on Route 113, making my way toward the Ocean City Police Department, which was somewhere about a 35 or 40 minute drive, particularly in the rain. As I was driving down the highway, I noticed a lone pedestrian walking on the shoulder of the road, and he was absolutely soaked. This was back when picking up a hitchhiker wasn't necessarily common, but it hadn't been relegated to one of the top three most insane things a person could do. And as I passed him, I looked over and I saw that his head was down, tucked into his wet gray sweatshirt, his hands jammed into his jean pockets, and a dark-colored baseball hat. What on earth was this guy doing walking that hour in the morning on that highway in that kind of weather? And I was really intrigued because the next town was at least 25 minutes, and that's in a car. 
I can't imagine how long it was going to take him to get wherever he was going. I'm sure that he saw my headlights, but he never stuck his thumb out, never put an arm, never indicated that he might need some assistance. Well, when you work that kind of job that I was working, unfortunately, you're always thinking and wondering. You start uh, considering, is this guy up to no good? Is he an escaped fugitive? And, you know, sometimes things just aren't as terrible as we like to make them out to be. They're just, well, the way they seem. He was a guy going somewhere, maybe visiting family. Maybe his car broke down a few miles back. And as I drove past him, making my way down the road and beginning to take the curve on the bend, I perceived in my spirit this call that maybe I should turn around and pick him up and, and take him to wherever he needed to go. I felt sure that I would be safe. And as I perceived that call in my spirit, I, all I could say was, Lord, that man is soaked, and this is a brand new 1991 Ford Explorer and have I mentioned it has cloth seats? And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 came to mind. Back then I was using the New King James of the Bible. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. All right, Lord, I said. So I pulled over to the side of the road, turned around, and began to make my way back. No cars had passed me. No cars were coming to me. The road was desolate. And as I made my way slowly back around the curve that I had just taken, where I had last seen him, there was no one. No one walking on the side of the road, on either side of the road. So I drove to where I last saw him and then went an extra 50 yards or so, thinking that maybe he walked back, put on my flashers, and began to scan the uh, uh, shoulder of the road and, and, and even down in the ditch to see maybe if he had gone down into the ditch for some reason. Cornfields on either side, why would he do that? No one. As a matter of fact, the ditch wasn't something somebody could get across quickly. It had become a small torrential river because of all the rain. Nothing. No one. Anywhere. I began to ask myself, had I actually seen someone or was it all in my head? Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now I've shared this story with some folks this week as I wrestled with this text in 1 John. It's one of those instances in my life that changed how I look at people in need. How I think about my neighbors, how I think about those I encounter, those whom I may not know, but sense a call to engage with in some meaningful and deep way. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, John writes. Now for a lot of people, it's in those kinds of life-changing moments that priorities change. For others, priorities can change because of lots of little moments that have kind of added up. And for still others, it may be more of a phased approach to how life changes and how our priorities are different. You know, I, I think sometimes that um, 
being 52 years old now, that I have served the church already longer than I probably have left to serve the church. It's in those moments when I think about that that I begin to assess my own life and my own decisions and my own choices. You know, it's easy to look back and identify both the moments where we took advantage of opportunities for the sake of something bigger than ourselves, but it's also easy to look back and see those moments we've wasted. Talents, treasure, (laughs) uh, time on the things that aren't necessarily eternal. Things that don't really impact real life. Things that we think will maybe position us for the highest possible return or uh, whatever that means, whether that's money or friends or a job or position or power or influence. But John reminds us we've been born of God, not for our pleasure, not for our success, but for truth. In many ways, for family. God's family we haven't been born for complacency we've been born for compassion compassion c-o-m that prefix that's generally uh, translated with but it can also mean together passion together with passion well we all know what passion means That's what we've been called to be as a part of the family of God. That's why we've been born of God, to be people together with passion, looking for those moments, seizing those moments where real life comes into our life. We're making a difference. We're standing for truth is the defining characteristic. Or as you might say, what the pastor might say when he does the eulogy at our funerals. The second point that I want to share with you today is, well, right from John as well. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. There's an author, pastor, counselor, Stephen Vyers, wrote a book, Loving Your Community. I love, I love, it's a little quick book, Loving Your Community. He quotes a respected contemporary tho- theologian, Neil Patinga, uh, former president at Calvin Theological Seminary, uh, who wrote a book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And in that book, he tells the story of a scene from a 1991 film, uh, Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've seen that, with Danny Glover, one of my favorite actors. In the movie, in a misguided attempt to avoid a traffic jam, an attorney finds himself crossing a series of streets that become darker and more deserted by the minute. At the worst of times and in the worst of places, his expensive sports car stalls, and he's forced to call a tow truck. And while he's waiting, five gang members surround his car and threaten his life. But just in time, the tow truck driver arrives, Danny Glover. The gang leader protests at the tow truck driver, 
And Danny Glover takes the gang leader off to the side and gives him a five-sentence introduction to sin. Let me read you what the tow truck driver says to the gang member. Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude, he's supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than the way it is here. The theologian Plantinga reminds us that in many ways that tow truck driver is a modern-day St. Augustine. You might have heard that name, Augustine, one of the great fathers and doctors of the church. Augustine was perhaps the most famous author, theologian in the church's 2,000-year history that struggled with the ongoing impact of sin in the world. Why is it that even with Christ and even with those who call themselves followers of Christ, sin, brokenness, pain, heartache still is in the world? That is, Augustine might say, things aren't supposed to be this way. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. The way things are shouldn't be the way things are. If you were at our congregational meeting just this past week, or you've watched the recorded uh, 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 session of that meeting, which is available, you can call the church office or email us at office at southsuburban.com, and a link will be sent to you. We talked about, at that meeting, how we as a congregation are discerning how God is leading us as a congregation into the next couple of months and even into the next couple of years. We shared with you all a, a two-part or two-phased vision. That first phase was a desire to integrate our growing online church service with our in-person worship service so that together the two churches are brought together, experiencing the same thing, hearing the same word, joining their hearts and minds in worship together. We'll soon know a little bit about how this congregation feels about that when all the votes come in and have been counted. And we'll also know as the congregation decides how it will contribute financially, supporting this phase of the vision. And we're grateful for that wrestling that you're doing. And we're grateful for your seriousness that you are giving to that question as well. But there's a second phase of this vision as well. It's a phase that's even larger than the integrated worship. The integrated worship is sort of like the first step. And then the second phase simply directs and takes over our whole mind, body, spirit, soul. It's a calling to this congregation to be a church in this community. To be a neighbor. To consider what it would look like for this place to be a true center for the community that surrounds us, the neighborhoods and, and thousands and thousands of people that are just within a half mile to a mile of this campus, how we can do life together. Not, not, uh, not just as a church, but as a central place for these communities to find a sense of meaning. As our business administrator, Ken Brightcrew, said, what would it look like if this we're not just a church that also is a community center, but a community center where a church happens to meet. Now, it will be easy to make um, a, a very subtle 
but serious flaw in thinking about this phase of the vision. I might have slipped a few times myself and said this sort of thing, and I know I've heard it. And that is, is that the second phase of our vision has been characterized as serving the community. It really is significantly more than that. It's serving with our community. And perhaps I would say it's even bigger than that. It really begins at this very simple point that John has been talking about in the entirety of this letter. And you and I have been preparing to hear this day. It simply is a vision of loving our community. Loving the people, the families in our community with God's love. With that agape love that we talked about last week. I think this is what John is saying as we begin here in chapter 5. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. It begins with loving. It begins with the agape love that we talked about last week. It begins with that sacrificial, unmerited, the kind of love that costs something love. And I know that if you're like me, there are moments that you sit and you think and you ponder this this monumental call that God is extending to us through not only all of Scripture, but specifically in this series in 1 John. I'm not sure... I can love like that. God, do you know this is a brand new 1991 Ford Explorer and have I mentioned it has cloth seats and it's raining? What does it mean to be willing to sacrifice for the love of those who are around us? Well, I know this. We can't do it. How about that for an answer? Well, that is, we can't do it left to our own strength. And you see, that's why John keeps reminding us. Not just some empty demand or admonition or goal to love other people. Every time John reminds us that we're called to love other people, he also says, and the only way you'll do it is if you recognize God's love for you. The only way we can sacrifice is when we've come to understand God's sacrifice for us. The only way we can give is when we understand how much God has given to us. That's God's love. It's not a call for me to show my love to the community, to those around me, to those in my workplace, to those in my family. It's not our call or your call to show your human love, but it's our call as those who have been born of God to show God's love, to be the conduit through which God's love comes into our life and overflows because it's so generous, we can't hold it all. And as it overflows out of our life, it flows into other people's lives. Now, it is true that the object of this love that John is talking about in this letter is a love for other believers specifically. That is, John is calling us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of us say, well, well, that's easy enough to fix. 
if I can just limit those whom I am to love to, quote, believers, and some of us might even say, to people I like or to people who are like me, I'm golden, I can do this. Well, if we're looking for ways to do this by our own strength, we have missed what we've been called to do. One of the beautiful things about this congregation is we don't seek to take upon ourselves an endeavor that we can do by our own strength, but we seek to do those things that we must rely on God to do. Something so big that we won't get it done unless God is with us. And also at the same time, I'm not sure trying to think of technicalities to get out of what God is calling us to do and with whom God is calling us to engage is the right way to read uh, John's letter here. Especially as we understand the context of all of Scripture in light of what John is calling us to be and to do. God reminds us of the purpose of His people all the way back into the Old Testament, especially for His chosen people, the nation of Israel. In Genesis 17, God was planning for that nation as He was creating it, as He was telling Abram, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and changed His name from Abram to Abraham. He had a plan. And the plan wasn't just for the descendants of Abraham. It was for all families of the earth. God says that to Abraham. Through you, I'm going to bless all people. God went ahead and enshrined that principle in the Mosaic Law. In Exodus 22, verse 21, You shall not wrong the stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In Exodus 23, 9, You shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger. The use of empathy when it comes to deciding how we will relate to other people. It's always good to be able to recognize our own sins so that we can understand the sins and brokenness of others and not be a judgmental people. We all have our problems. We all have our temptations. It's just that some of us are better at keeping it quiet than others. Leviticus 19.33 When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. Just reading here, in God's law, the stranger, the person we don't know, the person who we may not even trust, God is calling us to extend compassion with, together, with passion, to love, to act justly, to console to sacrificially and without merit embrace those whom we may have never met yet. This compassion for all people found its way into the songs and hymns of the Hebrew people. If you go to the book of Psalms, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. Psalm 67, 2, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Psalm 86, 9, all nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. You see, this law that I read, this psalms that I'm recounting to you, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. This is that great and monumental invitation that God is offering to His people and to South Suburban Christian Church, to me and to you. I want to end today's message with this final point. Because it all begins... It's all about being in the flesh. Maybe I could have made that point a little different. It's all about being present with people. We have a word for it in the church. It's called the incarnation. That is, is to be clothed with flesh. And, and it's actually a doctrine of the church that talks about how God took upon Himself flesh. How God became incarnate. God the Son took upon Himself flesh and came and dwelt among us, John says in his Gospel. This is the idea that Christ, that Jesus, came to be with His creation, with His people. John writes there in, I think it's verse 6, this is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Now this is probably one of the most argued about verses in the entirety of the book of John, uh, 1 John. I have my opinion, you may not agree, but at least hear me out. Now remember through this series we've been talking about the problems in Ephesus where John is writing. About this false teacher named Serentius. Well an early church father, somebody who wrote uh, uh, for the church, we have a ton of his letters. Um, his name is Irenaeus. Irenaeus actually tells us about the individual Serentius. So we learn more about this false teacher that John was uh, debating and, and trying to persuade um, from Irenaeus. And this is what Irenaeus writes. I want to read this to you. Serentius represented Jesus as having not been born of a virgin, but as being the son of Joseph and Mary according to the ordinary course of human generation. Y'all ever heard that before? Even in the present-day church, that opinion has found its way into too many churches that robs us of the power of what the gospel seeks to give to us, the truth of God coming to us. Irenaeus goes on. While he, that is Jesus, nevertheless was more righteous, more prudent and wise than any other man, moreover, after his baptism... Christ descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove <clears throat> from the supreme ruler, and that then he proclaimed the unknown Father and performed miracles. That is, is that Jesus receives divinity at his baptism. We call that adoptionism. It's been declared a heresy of the church, but it goes all the way back to the very beginning. But at last, Irenaeus goes on, Christ departed from Jesus, and that then Jesus suffered and rose again, while Christ remained impassable, that is, incapable of suffering, inasmuch as he was a spiritual being. What Serentius was doing is he was dividing Jesus and Christ. Christ being the divine, Jesus being the human, and the Christ leaving Jesus before the crucifixion because the divine can't die. What John says here is, is that teaching... I think I just said a few minutes ago, it was Serentius that said that, not John. 
that, Cerinthi- that teaching of Serinthius about this division of Jesus and Christ is not the gospel. What John is telling us is that indeed Jesus came by water. Yes, that is as by baptism. But that He also came by blood. That is specifically the cross. That God the Son died for us. That God came in the flesh and gave Himself for us. That is my brothers and sisters, and is, is an essential doctrine of the church, and it's a model for how you and I are called to be. That's what gets me excited. That through our baptism, as we have risen out of the water, been born of God, we are called to our own cross. We are called to our own life situations of real truth of blood of sweat of tears of presence of togetherness of compassion with the world with people and what better place to begin than in our own neighborhood in our own family let me let me close with this when the gospel of luke is telling us about the ministry of jesus he tells us about a time when Jesus had gone back to Nazareth, his hometown, to preach. It's found in Luke uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 17 to 21. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn there. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And he began to speak to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In these words, the gospel reveals the work of Christ as he feeds the hungry, clothes the poor, heals the sick, and even raises the dead. And these are all just the precursors of His work that will be on the cross because of the depths of His love will be fully known. And interestingly enough, if you think about it, many of those who were loved by Jesus continued to reject Him. But some opened their hearts, they opened their minds, and confessed Him as Lord and Savior. The relationship began when the Lord showed His love when he embraced people, regardless of whether they were Samaritan or Jew, prostitute or Pharisee, wealthy or poor. He received them where they were, and he loved them enough not to leave them there. Now, over the next couple of months, we're going to spend time together as a congregation discerning ways to minister within our community, with our community. But most of all, we will recognize that Jesus came by water and blood. But through the baptism of the cross, through the waters of baptism that you and I have gone through, as those waters stand in the shadow of the cross, 
we will see the profound love of God through Christ. And because we're born of God, we will begin simply by loving our neighbors as God has loved us. And in that seemingly simple act, yet so elusive for so many, we will get a glimpse of the kingdom. Lives will be restored. Brokenness will be healed. Sins will be forgiven. And we will get a glimpse of the kingdom. And Christ will be glorified. Amen.